Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Father, would you be with us now? In a very obvious way, would you speak uh, through me, through the ancient text, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, change our lives for your glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, John chapter 1, let's start off looking at verse 29. The next day, this is a guy named John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What we're going to talk about tonight is the idea of evangelism. And evangelism is really just kind of a big Christian word that means Christians talking to non-Christians about Christ and trying to tell them why they ought to trust in Christ, why they ought to believe in Christ and follow Christ. And so we're going to look at a very short passage tonight that comes at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Okay, so Jesus at this point, fully God, fully man, 30 years old, and He had just been baptized, and he'd been baptized by a guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was like this famous preacher, and everybody was going out to hear John. He was such a great preacher. In fact, Jesus said about him later on that up until that point in time, so really before Jesus, he was the greatest man who had ever lived. And he was baptizing people. It was like this sign of, I repent, I turn from my sins, and I want to trust in God. And even Jesus had come to him to get baptized, although he didn't have any sin. And when Jesus came out of the baptismal waters, I think Shai referenced this the other night, God the Father spoke audibly from the heavens and said, this is my beloved son. Now, John had some disciples. He had guys he was mentoring in the sense they were kind of working with him. And what we just read, he's standing there with them and he points at Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God. And this is a picture in many ways of evangelism. And here's basically what I'm going to try to prove and convince you of, I guess, tonight from this little short passage is this. If you're a Christian, even if you're the youngest, most immature, dumbest Christian in the world, you ought to be. And more importantly, you ought to want to be telling other people about Jesus. This is not just for like a rare, super committed Christian. Evangelism is for every Christian. One guy that I was reading about this, he just said this little short statement. Evangelism is overflow. And what he meant is, if you really believe in Jesus, if you really love Jesus, all this great stuff we've been seeing about Jesus, he is so good, it ought to be the most natural thing in the world to want to turn around and tell other people about Jesus. Does that make sense? Now, in this little short passage, there are three different phrases that basically get repeated twice. And we're just going to look at them. And the first one is, the one that I've already said, is behold the Lamb of God. Skip down to verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed him. So notice what happened. One day... John's out there with some of the guys he's kind of working with. Jesus comes by and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, let's just stop because I realize to us that sounds a little weird to look at a man and say, the Lamb of God. 
He's not an animal. He's a man. And that might have sounded a little weird to Andrew and the other guy who was standing there with John the Baptist. But it probably wouldn't have sounded as strange to them. And here's the reason why. You've got to understand a little of the history and the context. This was in ancient Israel 2,000 years ago roughly. And ancient Israel was kind of like the ancient Bible Belt of the Roman Empire. I mean, everybody, they either grew up going to temple, or maybe they didn't go to temple very often, but they knew people that went to temple. They knew what happened in temple. They were very familiar with what went on in ancient church. Does that make sense? And if you go way back in the Old Testament, there's this famous guy called Moses. You've probably heard of him. God talked to Moses a lot. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, stuff like that. But part of what God told Moses was to build the first tabernacle. Again, it was like an Old Testament church. And that part of what the priests, the Old Testament kind of preachers and pastors, were supposed to do every day, every morning, every night, in the Old Testament church, is they would kill a lamb. Every day. Now just pause and think about that for a second. That's pretty weird, right? I mean, what if you went to church every week? Like when you, and you're like one of these kind of people that goes to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And every time you came in, they're killing a lamb. And then they're burning it. What's the significance of that? It was the significance of the people saying, we realize God is a holy God. We are a sinful, broken people. In one sense, it's impossible for us to have a relationship with God because he's so holy and he hates sin and we're filled with sin. Even those of us that look good on the outside, we're just better at hiding our sin. We're still filled with sin. But also, God's not just a holy God. He's also a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He wants to have a relationship with us. He desperately wants to have a relationship with us. But it feels like a tension to us between holiness and love. But God has made a way that if there would be this substitute, this lamb, then in a sense would take the wrath of God, would get slaughtered in our place, then we could come in, the price has been paid, and we can worship God. So when John the Baptist looks to his two friends and points at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God, what he was saying in that minute was, all those lambs in the Old Testament, they really didn't pay the price for your sins. The blood of an animal, it can't forgive sin. But the blood of the one true God-man, he can forgive your sin. Look at him. Stare at him. Think about him. And guys, in one sense, that's a great little picture, a little summary of what good evangelism is. You don't have to know much. But you can know enough to tell maybe somebody that you work with. Maybe a friend. Maybe somebody that's here with you at conference. That's staying in the same room. Just, hey, would you spend some time looking at Jesus? Thinking about Jesus? Like beholding him with the eyes of your heart. He's the most unique person that's ever lived. Don't blow past him. And one more thing I want us to pull out just from these first couple of verses. Did you notice John the Baptist, who again, Jesus said, was the greatest man who'd ever lived up until that point. The first time that he looked at his two boys and said, hey, behold the Lamb of God. What happened? That we know of nothing. And the next day, guess what? He did the exact same thing, and the two guys left John, and they started following Jesus. Sometimes you might have to tell somebody the same thing more than once before they get it. Isn't that what happened to many of us that became Christians? It wasn't the first time somebody told us, we're like, I'm in. 
And so you may say, I've tried before. I tried to talk to my friend or my mom or whoever, and they didn't listen or they responded bad. Some people didn't listen to John the Baptist. Don't get sad. Don't get your feelings hurt. Don't get worried. Just go keep repeating the good news. And sometimes you can repeat it in the exact same way. And maybe tomorrow, God will bless your words and change somebody's life. So, tell people, behold the Lamb of God. Now listen, I'm not saying you have to use that exact language, alright? Probably not best to go out to the food truck driver tonight and say, behold the Lamb of God. They're like, you want a lamb burger? What are you talking about? Right? Because we don't live in ancient Israel. But you can say, you ever heard of Jesus? Let me tell you about it. I don't know much, I know a little. And what I know is really good. The second phrase is, we have found. We have found. <clears throat> Look at verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Now let me just pause here for a second. Because Jesus is, if John the Baptist was the greatest evangelist up until this point, once Jesus gets on the scene, he's the greatest evangelist of all time. And notice the first thing Jesus does. When he sees these two guys coming to learn something about him, he stops and he asks them a question. One of the best things you can do in evangelism is ask people questions. And I don't mean just like random questions like, uh, did you see the game last night? I mean, I mean that, that might be one way to start. But ask them questions like this. What are you seeking? What are you really looking for in life? That's such a great question to ask people. And listen, I've been asking that question to people, I don't know, 20 plus years. And the answer is almost always the same. It's some kind of peace. Some kind of joy, some kind of contentment, some kind of rest. If you get people to be really honest with you, and what you can say is, you know what? I found what you're looking for, and I found it in Jesus. We have found. Okay? But ask questions to kind of prime the pump. Look how they're going to respond. What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Side note, this letter was written, the letter of John, the Gospel of John, probably 60 years or more after this happened. But 60 years later, the guy that's writing the letter, John, not John the Baptist, it's a different John, John the Apostle, he still remembers the exact hour he first met Jesus. That's how powerful it is. And guys, when something that powerful happens in our lives, it ought to be the most obvious thing in the world. I want to tell somebody. I want to turn around and tell somebody. And that's what happens to Andrew and John. Look at verse 40. One of the two that heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. That's a little weird to us. But basically what he's saying is, I'm changing your name. The word Peter really means rock. He said, I'm going to make you into a rock-solid kind of man. A faithful man, a strong man, a steady man, a confident man. Because Jesus can change people's whole nature. That's what he does. And again, if you've genuinely trusted in Jesus, he hasn't made you perfect yet. He hasn't made me perfect yet. But we ought to be able to say, he has changed some of my life. 
And there ought to be a sense in which we want to go tell other people we have found. We have found the answer to life. And guys, is there an arrogant, proud, self-righteous way to do that? Yes. And try your best not to do that. But the sense and the flavor that it ought to have when you say to somebody, I have found, we have found the answer. Imagine this. You know, you've probably seen, we've been in Chattanooga a couple of days now, there's, there's a number of homeless people that you run into. And just last week, there were a lot of these kind of winter storms and things got super cold in Chattanooga. So just imagine, me and you were both homeless people living on the streets of Chattanooga last week when it got crazy cold. And some of the normal shelters were shut down because it was so cold. And we're out here huddling, thinking we're going to die. We don't have anything to eat. It's cold. And we searched around, haven't found anything. And so I said to you, hey, man, I'm going to go this way. And you go that way. Let's go about a mile. Let's just see if there's anything open, anything to eat, anything warm. And let's come back and meet and talk and see what we found. And if you go your way and I go my way and you actually find this great homeless shelter. And they got a bunch of free hot Christmas food. They're singing. They got beds. It's awesome. I find nothing. And I come back and you say, hey, I found it. I found the homeless shelter. If I have any right sense in my brain, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to be like, who are you to tell me you found something? Because there ought to be this sense that you're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. My heart's going to be like, thank you. So listen, when you go to tell people, be humble, be genuine, don't be arrogant, don't be a know-it-all. But listen, just because you're saying Jesus is the one true Savior of the world. That doesn't make you arrogant. Right? He's the one that said that about himself. You're just the little messenger boy or girl. If they think that's an arrogant claim, they can take it up with Jesus. You're just telling them what Jesus says about himself. Does that make sense? And notice, we have found. You ought to be able to say to people, hey, me and about a billion other people living on planet Earth have all found the answer in Jesus. So this is not just me and my private devotions. There's over a billion people living today on planet Earth that would say Jesus Christ is God. He's Savior. He's the Lamb of God. He's the only one that can take away your sins. Boldly go and tell people. Tell your family. Did you notice that? Like when they figured out, they got to spend the day with Jesus and they figured out He's the real deal. He's the chosen one. All these prophecies in the Old Testament. He's the one. He can save us. The first thing they did is, I got to go tell my brother i got to tell family members. That ought to be some of the first people that we want to tell. And, and guys, notice this. Some people have even started to call this Andrew evangelism. Because Andrew didn't say much. He just said, we found the Messiah. But he was like, hey, I want you to meet Jesus. Jesus can tell you the rest. And so for a lot of you, you may be a really young Christian. I mean, literally, you may have become a Christian like earlier today. You may say, I don't know what to tell somebody. But you could say, hey, I really think I've found all the answers in Christ. Now, I can't explain any of it. But there's this campus outreach staff guy. Or there's this oldest, older student. Or there's this girl in my sorority. She knows a lot of answers. Won't you come talk to her? That's what Andrew did with Peter. That's what we can do with our family members. The third thing, come and see. Come and see. Look at verse 43. Just pick up where we left off. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So probably Andrew and Peter had already talked to Philip. Hey, you got to come meet this guy we found. But then Jesus just goes after him. Philip, what happens? And I hope you're noticing a pattern here, guys. 
Somebody meets Jesus, and the next thing they do is they go tell somebody else about Jesus. John the Baptist realizes who Jesus is, and he says, Andrew, i got to tell you about Jesus. Andrew gets to spend some time with Jesus and says, i got to go talk to my brother Peter. Philip gets to meet Jesus. He says, i got to go talk to my best friend Nathaniel. That ought to be the normal way it works. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law, that's the Old Testament, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Come and see. Okay. Look at verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now this is, this is really interesting. I want to suspend just a second here. Because maybe Peter and Andrew planted the seed, so to speak, with Philip. But then Jesus encounters Philip personally. Philip gets changed. The first thing he wants to do, he goes and tells Nathaniel, Hey, I found the Messiah. He came out of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth back then would have been like this backwoods, podunk, little one-horse, one-red-light type village. And Nathaniel kind of has this attitude like, Man, are you serious? You're telling me the Savior of the world is coming out of like the backwoods, podunk, nowhere? Did you notice Philip didn't try to argue? Side note, I heard somebody else say this, and I, it, maybe it's a slight exaggeration, but I think it's pretty true. I don't know that anybody has ever been argued into the kingdom of God. I'm not saying there's not a place for debate and standing your ground. But I think what Philip does is a lot better. Just come and see. Just come and see for yourself. I'm not going to argue with you. Just come and see. Now, Nathaniel did two things. Well, there's two things at least we need to notice. Nathaniel, basically, he must have met people from Nazareth before. And maybe like, man, they're stupid. They're uneducated. I know people from there. And so he let maybe one or two experiences of people from one place taint his view of the whole city. That's a terrible way to live, right? We do that sometimes with racism and you're biased. But you know another way we do it sometimes? Is we've had an experience with one person, maybe from a certain church, or a certain ministry. We're like, man, I went to a Baptist church one time and the guy, he said, you know, if you ever smoke a cigarette in your life, you're going to hell. And so I just, I, I hate all Baptists. Really? You hate like millions of Baptists just because there was one stupid Baptist? That's not good. And here's what I'm saying. Just because you had a bad experience, maybe with one Christian one time, and that's very possible because there are a lot of, listen, Christians aren't perfect. Christians are just forgiven, right? Please don't let one bad interaction with a campus outreach staff or student one time or a Presbyterian or whatever, I don't care, turn you off to a whole group of people. Be more open-minded than that. Give people a chance. But second, I want you to look at what Philip does in response. He just says, come and see. Come and see, guys. And so if you ever feel stuck, and this might encourage you. I've been a Christian for over 30 years, guys. I've been a paid professional Christian for 24 years, working for a ministry called Campus Outreach. It's like, this is what we do. We do outreach. We do evangelism. And there are still times where I get in conversations and I'm like, I don't know what to say next. So you're probably not going to get past that in life. And you've got to be comfortable with just getting to a point where you can say, come and see. Come and see. Now, some of y'all may be listening right now and saying, okay, that makes sense. The only problem is these guys like actually knew Jesus. Like he was actually standing right there with his beard and his sandals and his robe. 
And Jesus hadn't been hanging out on my campus lately. Okay, that's fair. But what the Bible says about itself, and I believe that it is, is it's the spoken word of God. And that God still speaks through it. And you can meet Jesus in just as much of a real and saving way, reading the word, thinking about it, meditating on it, as if he was standing here personally talking to you. Now that may sound crazy to you. And you know what I'd say to you? Come and see. Come try it out. Just like Shy talked about, don't, don't cast it away until you've really wrestled and said, let me come and see, let me check it out. Now, um, a couple of thoughts by way of application. This is for everybody, the oldest Christian, the most mature, the youngest, the most immature. And again, you may say, I literally just became a Christian today. But sometimes the newest Christians make the best evangelist for a couple of reasons. Number one, all their friends are non-Christians. That's everybody they know. Number two, they're so excited about the new life they found, they haven't learned to be too cool for school yet. So just go for it, man. Speak up. <clears throat> to me, I love pizza. And you're like, what does this have to do? Just trust me. It's going to come back around, all right? In my personal opinion, there's virtually no such thing as bad pizza. Now, there's better pizza and worse pizza, right? I mean, there's gourmet pizza. And then there's like leftover cold, hard pizza. But it's still pretty good if you put it in the microwave. Somebody like that, I think I got an amen, okay? But listen, I would say the same thing about evangelism. There's virtually no such thing as bad evangelism. Now, there's better evangelism and worse evangelism. There's really good and savvy and cool evangelism. Then there's kind of weird evangelism. But I'd rather you do weird evangelism than no evangelism at all. Start speaking up. Again, not because you have to. But because you get to, there ought to be a sense of just joyful overflow. We have found. Come and see. Now, what if you say, hey, I get it, and I'm even kind of convinced. But you don't know me. I'm such an introvert. It's almost painful. I'm so timid. Did you notice what Jesus said to Peter? I'm going to make you into a rock. I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you steady. I'm going to make you steadfast. And one of the greatest Bible teachers of all time is a guy named John Calvin. He says... Jesus will do that for every Christian. That wasn't just a special promise for Peter. That's for every Christian. You come to Christ, you trust in Him, and He will strengthen you. And He will make you into the man or the woman that you're supposed to be. Just ask somebody, come and see. Come and read the Gospel of John with me. And let's see what it has to say about Jesus. Come and see. Come meet with my pastor or my older friend who knows more about Jesus. One more thought that I think will really help you. Technically, Philip got some of the answers wrong. Technically, Jesus wasn't really the son of Joseph. The Bible is super clear. Jesus is the son of God. So even in Philip's attempt as a brand new follower of Jesus to go talk to people about Jesus, he got some of the details wrong. But this Daniel still had an encounter with Christ. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be, have all the answers. As long as you get the main point right. It's not about the perfection of your point. It's about the direction of your point. As long as you're pointing at Jesus, even if you mess up a few of the minor details, I'm not saying be sloppy with it, 
But I don't want you to be such a perfectionist that you're worried and you're fearful and you procrastinate forever until I can be perfect. I'd rather you just fumble forward, start talking, and be honest about it. I don't know everything. Some of the stuff I said may have just been wrong. But I'm sure about Jesus. You should check him out. I have found the answers in him. And there are better people that can give you the answers when I'm struggling. Okay? So, really specific. Okay? If you're sitting here tonight and you say, I know for sure, by God's grace, I'm a Christian. Here's a personal, loving challenge for you. Talk to somebody that you know to be a non-Christian within the next three days about Christ. Talk to in the next three days. Maybe it's somebody at this conference. Maybe you're like, only people at this conference I know are Christians. You got a New Year's Eve party coming up. The first time I came to New Year's conference, I think 27 years ago, and God was working on my heart, and I was so excited, and I went back to Atlanta with a bunch of friends. It was going to be great. We went out on the town, and we went to this great party. But I ended up talking to this random dude at the party about Jesus. And I was trying to quote every verse I knew about Jesus. And I don't know that that guy became a Christian, but it was good for me to just fumble forward. I said, man, I just had an experience at this conference. It was awesome. I want to tell you about it. And I don't want to tell you about the conference as much. The conference was just a lead-in to, I want to tell you about Jesus. Why was the conference awesome? I met some cool people. But mainly, I got to know Jesus better. That's what it's about. Come and see. That's my challenge. And if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm not sure I'm a real Christian. I'm still wrestling with this. I got doubts. Or maybe I know I'm not. I'm still resistant. Why would you wait? What are you waiting on? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All the deep questions of your heart will only find the answers in the Christ, in the Messiah. There is no other answer out there. I love you. You're wasting your time. Come to Christ. Come and see. Here would be the last thing I'd say. When I talk about this, and again, I'm a paid professional Christian working for a ministry called Campus Outreach. I get paid to do this. But usually when I talk on it, when I teach on it, when I'm preparing, usually part of what happens to me is this, guys. I get a little bit convicted because I get the sense, you know what? I'm probably not doing this as much as I should. I'm probably not doing this as well as I should. I probably don't care about lost people as much as I should. So probably I know I don't. But you know what? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's just not a one-time experience when you first become a Christian. When you genuinely trust in Christ, that's an ongoing experience for the rest of your life. All the sins for the rest of your life. All the sins for the rest of my life. All of the sins of where we fumble and we fail when evangelism are forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross under the wrath of God for all His people for all time. Guys, the pressure is off. Jesus is winning. He is going to conquer. He's going to get all his people. You don't need to walk out of here tonight with this heavy burden of pressure. You ought to walk out of here with a heavy sense of joy. The joy is on that I get the privilege to go do this contagious thing. I met Jesus. Now I want to tell somebody else. Come and see. We have found. Behold the Lamb of God. Let's pray. God. Make us into the evangelists that are motivated by joy that you want us to be for your glory 
And would there be people, family members, friends, co-workers, classmates that come to Christ because of the testimonies of the students in these chairs tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.